Greetings to all of you. I appreciate your being here today so very much. I want to share with you some information about God's plan of salvation. I'm not going to present the plan of salvation because I know the fact that you are here means that you have already experienced the plan of salvation. I like to call it God's GPS. And so for that uh, reason, I'm going to share information about how God's plan of salvation will take an individual from wherever he or she may be to a designated place or a desired location. In our case, that desired location would be heaven. Amen? So, God's GPS, regardless of where we are in following that process or those instructions, our goal is for all of us to wind up in heaven together. So, I would like to ask you to stand one more time. And we're going to get underway talking about God's plan of salvation or His GPS. But to do that, we're going to read or quote John 3.16. I expect to hear from you as well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank you so very much. You may be seated now. I have found that the whole plan of salvation, God's GPS, is incorporated into that one verse of Scripture, John 3, 16. In particular, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is the foundation of God's plan of salvation. And if you look at that verse, that's incorporated in it. I think we should all be grateful that God had us in mind whenever He came up with the plan of salvation. Again, can you say amen? Amen. Well, I think that we should give thanks every single day for the plan of salvation, or again, as I'm calling it, God's GPS. But here we are at Easter time, and if we are ever going to give praise and thanksgiving to God for His plan of salvation, then certainly Easter is definitely a time that we should do that. Because the focus of Easter time is on the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So uh, this is the time that we should really zero in on where we stand in relationship to the plan of salvation and especially into the relation regarding the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Savior. I've got a couple of questions for you. First question is this. When did God first state or declare His plan of salvation? Second question is, when did he implement his plan of salvation? Some people might have the idea that God, wherever God is up there, in, and, and a lot of people don't know he's in heaven, but he is. But they may think, well, God had to try one thing and 
that didn't work, so God tried something else and that didn't work, so he had to keep trying different things. Not so. Not so at all. To answer the questions, we've got to go back to a period when there was no time, when there was no space. There was absolutely nothing except God. Did you realize that there was such... I keep using the word time, but time didn't exist. God doesn't live in the realm of time. But anyway, for our sake, did you know that we could go back to a time in our thinking to when there was nothing except God? Now, God we know to be three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They are so equal in every way that they function as if they are one individual. No division whatsoever among the three. They make up the one Godhead. Amen? Amen. Now, God, we know, is love. Probably the first verse of Scripture that we ever learned was God is love. But I want to share another attribute with you as well. God was and is all-knowing. Nothing ever happens that God is not aware of it. Regardless of what generation you might be talking about, God knew what was going to take place at any given moment. So nothing catches God off guard. It was through foreknowledge, even before the foundation of the world, that God was able to see all eternity as if it were one eternal present. I'll let that soak in just a minute. God is all-knowing. He has always been all-knowing. Therefore, He has had foreknowledge of even you and me before we were ever thought of as far as the earth is concerned. But God knew before He created anything, before He hung the, the world in space, that once He did that, once He spoke the earth into existence, and once He placed mankind on the face of the earth, that all would sin and come short of the glory of God. Right? Yes. He knew that. So even before the foundation of the world, God determined that there should be a way, once mankind is placed on the earth, there should be a way that he could be redeemed or restored to the original relationship that he had with God. So before the foundation of the world, God came up with the plan of salvation. He planned every minute detail of the plan of salvation. He knew every need that any of us would ever have and He provided the answer to that need even before the foundation of the world. Now you may be jumping ahead on me and thinking, well, it was only about 2,000 years ago that Jesus was crucified. But let's look at Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. 
Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says, The Lamb, you read it with me, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the plan of salvation was organized, declared, and even implemented before the foundation of the world. After God had planned every little detail of this plan of salvation, He then started creation. The first thing He created was His dwelling place, and we call that heaven, and that's the desired location that God wants every one of us to be with Him in sometime. None of us are in a great big hurry to get there, but we're all planning to go, right? Amen? Amen. So God created the universe. Genesis 1.1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. And God knew us well enough to know that once we were placed on the earth, we could not comprehend the whole plan of salvation all at one time. So God decided that it would be well to reveal the plan of salvation to mankind a little bit at a time. Now the fact that the Lamb had been slain before the foundation of the world, God knew the means by which Jesus would be crucified. He knew that a cross would be the instrument that would be used to bring about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God wanted to make us aware that the cross was to become the emblem of salvation. Without mankind knowing it, God placed the cross in various places so that at some point, once mankind was on earth, mankind would somehow come in contact with that particular cross. For example, God created the heavens. That not only is His particular dwelling place, but it, it also includes what we would refer to as outer space. And a few years ago, there was a picture taken by the Hubble Space Telescope. And if we could have that picture displayed, please. You can see the shape of a cross that's actually in outer space. It's a black hole in space. Now, it took centuries before mankind ever saw that picture. But now we have it. In addition to that, He created the heavens. He also created the earth. So let's see what He did in regards to the earth. He put the emblem of the plan of salvation, His GPS, on the side of a mountain in Colorado. Can you see the cross there? The gorge, the vertical gorge, is 1,100 feet long. The horizontal gorge... It's 400 feet. So it makes an almost perfect cross on the side of the mountain. Now, I said that God created the heavens and the earth, and obviously He put a cross in both of those places. 
Then he actually began speaking things into existence. On day one, we know that he brought about light. And as far as his plan of salvation or his GPS goes, day one would actually represent the birth of Jesus Christ. On day two, a separation occurred. This is when the clouds were separated from the waters. The clouds were suspended above the earth, above the waters. Symbolically, and for the sake of God's GPS, this represents the day that Jesus was crucified. He was suspended between heaven and earth. Day three is when land appeared and vegetation began to grow. And of course, it came up out of the ground. So day three represents the day that Jesus was resurrected. He came forth from the ground. Day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. Lights were placed in the sky. This is exciting. This is the day that represents Jesus ascending into heaven. Jesus is the light, and he ascended into heaven. Day five is interesting. This is the day that the birds and the fish were created. Well, what do birds and fish have in common? Birds flock together, and fish swim in schools. So they are groups. Day five represents the time that Jesus was at the right hand of the Heavenly Father and all authority was given to Him. And He said, well, I'm not going to keep it just for myself, but I'm going to give it to a group called the church. And so God wants His people, the believers, to group together like the birds group together, like the fish group together. Day six is when the beasts were created and then mankind was formed out of the dust of the earth. We were different from everything else that had been brought about as far as creation goes. We were formed out of the dust of the earth. Now, this is interesting to me. God knew that someday there would be a telescope that could take pictures in outer space. He knew that someday America would be discovered and somebody would find that cross on the side of the mountain. He also knew that there would be scientists that would do research on the anatomy of human beings and in those human beings, these researchers, these scientists would find a protein cell that's called laminin. Guess what shape laminin is in? There it is, right there, in the shape of a cross. We, God's people, really everybody, is held together by the shape of a cross, whether they know it or not. Day seven, we all know that's the time that God rested. Oh, well, let me back up to day six. Man was created. He was given dominion over the earth. This represents the thousand-year reign of Jesus whenever he comes back with the saints to reign over the earth. Day seven is when God rested. 
And that is symbolic or figuratively speaking. It is when we are all in God's dwelling place, in the very presence of God Almighty, in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, that was a revelation that was given regarding the plan of salvation that obviously most men have not picked up on that. But God didn't stop at that. He said man needs to learn a little bit more. So if we went to Genesis chapter 3.15, which we're not going to do, that took place after the fall in the garden. Adam and Eve had sinned just as God knew that they would. And Lucifer or Satan was on the scene and God spoke to him and said, listen, I'm going to send a Messiah and the Messiah is going to be able to not just put you in your place, he's actually going to step on your head and smear it in the ground till it's nothing more than powder. So Satan was told that he was going to be a defeated foe from the very beginning. Well, moving right along, God spoke to Moses at a later point, and he told him, there is a true sanctuary in heaven, but I want you to build a tabernacle on earth that is a replica of the sanctuary in heaven. And he said, now here are some things that I want you to put in it. He said, first of all, you're to put a place where animals can be sacrificed, the sacrificial altar. After that, you're to put a laver in. That's a place where washing can be done. And then there's to be a curtain, and, and behind the curtain is going to be a place called the holy place. And on the right-hand side of the holy place, there's to be the bread, the table of showbread. Opposite of it, on the other side, there is to be the lampstand or candlestick. Beyond that, in the back of this particular little area of the, of the uh, tabernacle, is to be the altar of incense. And then he said there is yet to be another curtain, and behind that is where God himself is going to dwell whenever he comes to visit his people. So, with that in mind, how does that relate to us? How does that relate to the plan of salvation? First of all, there was a gate or an entranceway into the tabernacle. That way is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the presence of God. Say, Jesus is the only way. When you go through Jesus, the first thing you need to do is to go over to the altar of sacrifice. You bow before the cross and you say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you get up from there as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. Amen? From there, you move back to the labor. Jesus said that we were to follow his commands, that we were to be baptized in water. So the labor represents the water baptism. We go behind that, and only the priest could actually go behind the curtain. But did you know we are priests as well now that we're saved? So we have a right to go to the table of showbread. That's the Word of God. We are to study the Word of God to show ourselves approved. Amen? Across the room is the lampstand. Once we are born again... Once we are holy in the sight of God, then we are to become a light to this world. Yes. 
From there, we move to the altar of incense, and that represents prayer. Folks, we are to be people of prayer. Once we go through these steps, which is God's GPS, then we are then ready to step into the most holy place, or the holy of holies, where the presence of God is. Hallelujah. So, my question to you is, where are you along that line? Are you just at the altar of sacrifice? That's fine. Have you been baptized in water? I trust that you have. Have you become a student of the Word of God? I trust that you are. I assume that you're a light to this world. I assume you're a person of prayer. And because of that, you're ready to meet God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, let me just hasten real quick. How do we know where we are along this line? We need to stop and take a look at ourselves, check ourselves to see if we are progressing with God's GPS. And the best way that I know to do that, the Apostle Paul said that we were to check ourselves, especially if we're going to partake of communion. Now, some people get a little bit frightened at communion time simply because Paul said you're not to eat or drink unworthily. Well, folks, let me tell you this. If it was depending on our worthiness, none of us would ever be able to partake of communion. But it's not our worthiness. It's how much of the worthiness of Jesus Christ do we have within us that determines whether or not we should partake of communion. He is the one who has made us to be the righteousness of God. So it's through His worthiness, His righteousness, that we are to partake of communion. Now, if I could have the next slide, please. I want you to look at this quickly, and we will bring this to a close real soon. Matthew 26, 26 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Next slide, please. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So Jesus broke bread with his disciples. He gave them the cup. They passed it around. They drank. And you know the story that Judas said, Lord, am I the one that's going to betray you? We won't go into that aspect of it. Let's go on to Luke 22, verse 19. Jesus said, This do in remembrance of me. He wants us to reflect upon what He did because what He did is the only reason that we have the plan of salvation. If Jesus had not done what He did, every one of us would be lost. There would be no hope for any of us. But He said, remember what He did. Amen? So every time we partake of communion, we're to think about His death, His burial, and His resurrection. But then there's a positive side well, the resurrection is a positive side. But even more than that is the fact that we are to also remember He's going to return to this earth. He's going to come again. Hallelujah. But to summarize it all, John six fifty four, And it says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, 
and I will raise him up at the last day. We know that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus up from the dead. We know that if we are here on earth for a while longer, at some point our physical body is going to die. Or Jesus is going to come in the clouds and we're going to be caught up with him. One or the other, we're going to leave this world. But it says, if we have partaken of his flesh and his blood, we will have eternal life. So we will get to spend eternity with him, whether we go by way of the grave or whether we go by way of... And the rapture is not in the Bible. That word is not. But the indication, the implication, is there in the Bible that we will ascend up to be with Jesus. All right. With that being said, then I want you to just Think back just for a minute over some of the things that I've shared with you. And if it is exciting to you, I'm going to ask that you all close your eyes and in your own way, for some of you it may be lifting your hands, for others of you or it may be speaking out loud, for others of you it just may be a meditation within your heart. But I want you to offer up thanksgiving to God for His GPS, His plan of salvation. Father God, we truly thank you for your love that you sent your only begotten Son into this world so that we, if we would accept Him by faith, we could have everlasting life. We rejoice in that today, knowing that we are on our way to heaven, that we are children of the Most High God, that we are going to one day get to see our Savior face to face, We're going to get to praise Him. We're going to get to say, Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's in the name of our Lord and Savior that we pray. Amen and amen.